Hello and welcome along to the Family and Friends podcast. My name is Maxi. I'm one of the producers here at Family Creative and this is our new weekly podcast. Each week we plan to introduce you to some of the guys that we work with quite regularly and some people that we haven't even worked with at all yet. Our guest this week is director and photographer Lauren Luxemburg. Originally from Canada, Lauren's now been based in London for some 10 years. Starting uh, her career in a number of agencies in London, she's uh, recently gone freelance about three years ago. We talk about taking that leap of faith, you know, becoming a freelancer, leaving a salary position and uh, getting yourself out there, getting fired from a job because your boss overhears you uh, slagging them off. And as ever, we end with some advice for people out there thinking about entering the creative industries. I hope you enjoy this episode of Family and Friends with Lauren Luxemburg. Thank you for joining us on uh, Family and Friends, our our podcast here at Family Creative. We just had you in the office today to meet Dave and Andy, um, just to sort of put some faces to names and all this kind of stuff. Uh, I think they're really impressed with some of the stuff you've shown them and it's great to get you in this environment because me and you have known each other for a little while now um, and it's nice to sort of, you know, see two worlds collide almost. Uh, how you doing? What's, what's been happening? I'm very good. Yeah. Happy yeah. to be here. Really excited. Really liking what you guys are up to. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got this really fun shoot planned this evening, so it's a yeah. creative day ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, it should be good, actually. What's, uh, yeah, talk to me a little bit more about the shoot later. How did you find Dan? Uh, well, maybe explain to the people listening what Dan does, the kind of clothes he designs, all this kind of stuff, and how you came into contact with him. So Dan's a good friend of mine. I met him through my friend Oscar, who's actually a drummer, but also my photography assistant. Um, I met Dan at Oscar's birthday almost a year ago, and he told me that he'd been making shirts out of his bedroom over lockdown. He had no experience. Um, I believe his degree is in something like scientific, and he just started making shirts from recycled tea towels and uh, tablecloths that he'd found in his house just lying around. Um, And he showed me what they looked like, And I said to him, you know, I basically suggested what to do with them content wise because he'd just been taking pictures on his iPhone and he had all these amazing concepts of like kind of reenacting films that he loved. Um, And so, you know, months later that actually ended up happening and we we did a film together um, and a photo shoot at a, um, a bowling alley called Mega Bowl. Um, And so the theme was just, um, you know, it was just kind of making characters out of the shirts and getting all of his friends into the shirts. And it was just a really, really fun day. And so I think what I really like about Dan is that, you know, and this brand is that he's doing it all sustainably. He's just done it out of his bedroom. And like, it's just like skyrocketing at the moment. And he said to me the other month that like I was the person that propelled him forward um, and believed in him and told him you know to increase the prices and to do things in this way that's so cool so tonight the shoot is um, we're recreating like old school propaganda like alcohol ads Um, you know so that's really exciting we're going to do it in my studio and again we're doing it with some of his friends so yeah amazing um do you want to, what's his Instagram handle for anyone wanting to have a look? It's Pickle Clothing. 
pickle clothing. Yeah, yeah? so his name is Dan Branston. Uh, <laughs> so that's why it's called Pickle, because Branston Pickles, and that's what his friends call him. So it's kind of, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I encourage people to check it out. Yeah. So our first section on family and friends is your kind of personal history, your sort of like creative journey into, you know, what we do these days. Uh, just to give people some context, maybe just tell the guys at home, you know, what exactly uh, you do now, uh, the kind of, you know, photography and directing that you've you've been up to recently in the last, you know, few years. Uh, and then we'll go back and, and take, take it back to the beginning. Yeah, so I'm a photographer and director. Um, I focus a lot on uh, male musicians, models and artists kind of this concept of men through the female lens. Um, and so, yeah, kind of been working commercially across different brands and then editorially across different magazines, mostly menswear, like the Rake magazine, for example. Um, and then just been working with a lot of different artists that I admire, like Frankie Stu and Harvey Gunn, Shay Lingo, um, Swindle, Joel Culpepper, and yeah, just just characters in my life that, uh, you know, I listen to their music and we create something together and explore topics that I think deserve more attention. Things like men's mental health, um, creating community, masculinity, self-doubt, all things that kind of like I, you know, I guess like we mirror each other and it's really nice when you, for example, listen to someone's music or see their craft and then just get to know them in a different light and help the world get to, you know, get to see this side of them, which I think is really nice and, you know, personable. I find it quite interesting when we were in the meeting earlier, um, a lot of focus is on sort of uh, women's issues and things that revolve around, you know, not necessarily like uh, classical feminism per se, but it's mostly gauged towards women at the moment, you know, with uh, any issues being raised in um, in film and, and the industry. What is it about men's sort of issues that you've gravitated to? What is it about the sort of the vehicle of of masculinity that, that, is, that is concurrent, you know, through a lot of your films? Why, why is that? I think because my background is at Mr. Porter and it was always about... Um, making men feel more confident through style and how they put themselves together. Um, I think, I don't think the topic of men's mental health gets enough attention. And I think it should, it deserves more. Um, I think that there is strength and vulnerability. And I think I like bringing out the vulnerable side of men who maybe you don't typically see that side in their craft. Um, you know, for example, a lot of the musicians that I photograph in Colombia, where I spend a lot of time, the guys that I work with are quite, they've got tough exteriors. Mm. And everybody said at my exhibition, you can see their souls. And I thought that was just so beautiful. Um, I've definitely had a lot of, or a few comments on, on why I don't shoot more women and you know, I think there is something in that because I think it is promoting women in power to be the woman behind the lens shooting men because it shifts that dynamic. But yes, back to your original question, I do think it there is a lot of the men that I work with and speak to 
I've really connected with have really opened up to me and I've learned a lot about their struggles. And I think that men are perhaps not encouraged to be as forthcoming as women with their emotions and that they should be. And I want to be a part of that, encouraging that. And I like making men feel at ease to to be communicative and in front of the camera. And that's the feedback I always get is that I make people feel at ease and calm and comfortable and I think that's great. I really like that. Right, let's take it back. Lauren, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Yeah, so I grew up just outside of Toronto in a suburb called Thornhill. I know that if I say Toronto, all my friends from Toronto will be like, you're from Thornhill. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a 905er. I can't lie here. Um, Yeah, so I grew up in Thornhill, Ontario, a very lively suburban place. Um, And yeah, I mean, I think my family growing up was quite uh, safe in terms of like their careers. And I wasn't surrounded uh, around much creativity growing up. Um, So I never really knew that it was an option for me. I didn't really know what my skills were. Um, in that and I think it took me a long time to realize that Uh, I went to business school so I I graduated high school got into business school um, and when I was in business school I always just felt quite displaced like maybe I wasn't living my truth Uh, but I didn't know that I just knew that I knew that it wasn't for me but I wasn't sure what was Um, and I remember in business school like interviewing for Um, a job with like Windex which is like you know spray for windows and sitting in the interview being asked to come up with a campaign and I was like what the fuck am I doing here (laughs) like who am I why do I care about Windex the truth is I don't care about Windex you know I literally walked out of that interview and just sort of looked at my life and was like what are my options here so I applied to design school in New York Parsons Um, I went on exchange to Milan, visited London for a weekend, uh, and was like, oh shit, I really like this place. I'm going to have to live here for a bit. (laughs) And so um, I was like, cool, I'm going to come live in London for four months and then I'll go to Parsons. It's been 10 years. I never went to New York. Oh, wait. And so, yeah, I came here. And when I first arrived here, I bought a camera and I brought it to document my life in London in the wild streets of Brick Lane uh, where I was living at the time Uh, just documenting people around me and I was always kind of doing bits of freelance photography work and my full-time job was in kind of content strategy Um, I spent years at different agencies and at Mr. Porter looking after like social content team their strategy shooting a lot of their visuals And that's where my kind of um, career in working with men and understanding like maybe more around like men's issues and how to communicate um, with them like on a global level to millions of people that might resonate. Yeah, that's where that came from. Um, And so, yeah, I left there, um, went freelance and here we are today. Amazing. Yeah. How um, How did Brick Lane compare with the Toronto suburbs? Do you know what? It's just so similar that I couldn't even express to you. No, no, it's it's, uh, it's very, very different. Uh, I think it's all it was also like that was ten years ago in Brick Lane, so it was a different place back then. Yeah. Uh, but I love it. There's a lot of characters around. I think 
I just like capturing characters because they bring everything to the table when you're taking a photo. And that's like, you know, what people want to see. It's they want to see realness. stories. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, when you decided to move into something slightly more, you know, creative uh, and away from business school and all this kind of stuff, was there pressure from your family to, like, did, did it take some explaining or were they just like, whatever you want to do? I don't think they really understood what I did um, when I was working in the, in, you know, social media and stuff like they could never explain what I was doing. Um, I think there was only really pressure when I wanted to go freelance and it was hard because I just wanted to be supported in that decision to take the leap. And it ended up just being a decision, you know, I, I had to make on my own. Um, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, I'm taking photos and they like, they saw my photos and were like, when did you become a photographer? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I think, you know, they're, they're very supportive of me now, but because I didn't follow like that, that traditional um, route, there was always some resistance for sure. I think I've always been a self-starter and every job I've had here, even if it's been at a company, I've had to either like start my own department in that company or be entrepreneurial. And so that's forced me to be incredibly resourceful. Like even when there was a lot of resistance coming to London, for example, my family didn't want me to, they didn't think I'd get a job or I'd get a visa. And I was just, just like, I mean, just watch me. Do you mm. know what I mean? I'm the type of person that's like, if people tell me that they think something that I want to do isn't possible, then I have to prove that it is. <laughs> it's like, you know, when I was younger, I was always quite rebellious. Um, I was diagnosed with, and I think this is like maybe a lot of why I'm, you know, I talk about mental health as well, because when I was a kid, I was always labeled as a kid with like ADHD, ODD, which is oppositional defiant disorder. It's like clinically diagnosed as doing the opposite of what your parents tell you to do <laughs> or what people tell you to do. I was literally clinically diagnosed with that. And I have this one story, um, which I think is, I mean, I just think it's very true to my character. I came home from ca summer camp, I used to work at summer camp, taught gymnastics there. Uh. And I came back and I was like, mom, dad, can I please have a trampoline? And they were like, absolutely not. And I was like, okay. So then I literally got in a taxi, went to the bank, withdrew all my savings. <laughs> I was 16 years old, bought a trampoline, came home, <laughs> built it, and they came <laughs> and they came home and the trampoline was built. <laughs> what did they say? They were just like, you motherfucker. No, I would have been that. like, fucking yes. Okay, like, but I yeah. back you, man. That's fair enough. I think my family was very, not strict, but like, you know. Kind of like straight laced. Kind of. And so I was always kind of fighting against like pushing the boundaries. And that's why I live so far away as well is because um, I like freedom. I'm constantly craving freedom, you know, mm. so. Do you still get to see your family quite a lot? I see them like once or twice a year. I mean, obviously, recently, no, because of COVID. Yeah. But we speak all the time. That's good. I'm very close with with my, my family. My dad's he's a drummer and a lawyer. So I guess there's a bit of creative in there. He's just absolutely whack, to be honest. <laughs> Loves his Led Zeppelin and Guns N' Roses, but he's an absolute legend. So, so I'm is grateful. There, it's, it's interesting when you you were talking about it, you're like, I don't know where it comes from, 
because I'm, I'm a similar thing. Like my dad was a policeman, my mum's a PA, but my wider family, I I learned this as I got older. Um, my mum's brother and his son, so my my uncle and his cousin, he's he's not with us anymore, but they were filmmakers in Plymouth. They used to make railway and train films, like in the early nineties. Uh, my uncle is a graphic designer and, and an artist now. Um, so there's like, it's weird. It kind of like sometimes skips or like jumps around in the family tree sometimes. I don't know. It's odd. Like, have you got any other like creative uncles, aunties, like cousins, anything like that you can kind of relate to? I mean, my aunt was always, I, I wouldn't, she's always been very creative and she's always been like, I mean, I'm known as to be a very nomadic person. Like I spend a lot of my life traveling. I'm that person in London who's never here. Um, I mean, now I am permanently here. Help. But, um, but no, I was, I've always been known to be like a traveler and a lot of my photography comes from that. So she, and she's quite like that as well. She's quite an explorer. So, um, I mean, there's her. My grandfather made, like, really small um, kind of antiques. Mm. Um, but honestly, no. I think... I don't know where it came from for me. I think it just... I think it all came from a feeling... I've never been good with words, um, but I'm good with visuals. And I, I've always had, like, a really good memory for visuals. And I think that, like... When I've been going through a hard time, the way I've expressed myself is through pictures, like taking pictures. Um, and that's because I've struggled with words and I've, if I've needed an outlet, I've chosen visuals. Mm -hmm. So I think it all happened organically from there. Like, like, you know, when I bought a film camera five years ago, I think that's when things really set in for me. Um, and I just became obsessed with it. I couldn't stop taking photos. I couldn't stop. I couldn't separate my personal life from my photographic life like everything was just hustling for any opportunity to take photos anyone I was around and you're always any, looking with that eye as well like with that eye and just like I mean I've realized that the most important thing to me in the world is light mm -hmm. like it completely changes my mood and how I feel and I can't express to you that I've I never noticed light in the same way as I did since taking photos the way that I see the world has completely shifted and that's all happened for me in the last five years and for that to happen at that you know at the age of like 25 is is pretty it's pretty insane I think like my whole world has turned upside down in the most incredible way fantastic you talk about taking the leap of faith going freelance and it's like it's kind of like a, a rite of passage for quite a lot of people in in the creative world uh, what were the what was the year leading up to you making the decision how did you weigh it up and talk to me about the first like few months when you after you took the leap and you've kind of got this thing dangling over you of like I need to make this work is that when you are at your best I got a feeling it kind of is when you kind of not put yourself in a corner but you you jump in at the deep end and it's like sink or swim I don't know I, I've not known you too long mm. but I reckon I think you're probably one of those people I'm, I'm a bit similar to that but yeah talk, talk us through that that stage of your career deciding to go freelance and all this kind of stuff I mean I think it was always a dream to have the flexibility I think the main thing for me my dream has always been to live in many different places in a year and have the flexibility to move and I felt like being restricted uh, at a company was just not 
for me. It kind of like, I felt like it was, again, me like living away from my truth and really wasn't happy doing that. And so um, I started again, I was like side hustling for every opportunity to take photos, reaching out to brands, consulting, um, doing photography projects. And there was one point where I literally had 15 clients in addition to my full-time job. What? And it was becoming too much that it was taking... Becoming too much? It was, yeah. Mate, I've got like three clients. (laughs) Sometimes it's like a bit too much. No, literally. And these were like global clients like Amazon, like Shopbop, Audi, like massive brands I was working with on the side. Um, And I was just like... I was I was like busting at the seams like I just couldn't it was too much it was taking away from the quality of the work that I it was taking away from the quality of the work that I could offer at my company at the time and so um, you know I had to put myself in the deep end because I wasn't happy at my company I feel like I was traveling the world for free and staying in incredible places and getting amazing discounts on clothes, but that was soul emptying. Mm. I don't want to do that. Like I was, I was traveling and staying in places that are not me. Like, you know, obviously it's nice to stay in expensive hotels and eat expensive meals, but like the novelty the, wears off pretty quickly. The novelty yeah. wears off quickly, and that's also not a purpose in life. That's not a reason to stick around. No. But creating my own thing was. I think also like it was difficult because a lot of my identity I thought I think was was this company Mr. Porter like I felt like I was Mr. Porter like and and I was known as that as well and I felt like outside of that I didn't know who I was so I did struggle like when when I went freelance there is this like creative personality trying to come through and like you can kind of you got a feeling for it and you can kind of you can see the rough shape of it under the surface but until you decide to take that decision and let it out you're not going to know what it looks like or what it feels like it's interesting I think for sure and I think also like when I was it was I had these two sides to me right like I had this very this emerging like thing that was pulling me the photography I was pulled so hard like drawn so much towards it it made me so happy and then at my full-time job I was discouraged to do that um because although I was shooting a lot of the stuff for them um my team wasn't seen as a creative team uh and that was difficult for me so I was coming up against a lot of um tension with the creative team who wanted to hire portrait photographers to do social content and I was like here's a photographer hello me um, (laughs) who knows what to do to succeed on these uh, platforms and I'm gonna do it for free and yet you want to hire a portrait photographer and that was hard for me Mm. and so I felt like I was being discouraged and not necessarily believed in in that way yeah um and that created a really difficult inner conflict it's funny how much like affect the culture in a company can can kind of uh affect you and the way you you know, we're quite sort of self-gratifying people and self-validating sometimes. And if you if you're working in an area in in a company that isn't like really endorsing you, it's it is tough. Because my background's in TV. I used to work at Sky Sports, and I always took the initiative. I learned how to use DSLR cameras when they kind of first came into the like uh, mainstream like broadcast stuff. Uh, learned how to use those, and I, I'd be out shooting, contributing. 
um, getting stuff to, to transmission. Like the, the stuff I was filming off my own back was getting into the program uh, on live TV, but they never like paid me for it. They never like they, they'd sort of they'd appreciate it, I guess, but they never really encouraged me or gave me a position where that was my job. I was still the T boy, but I was also shooting bonus content for their broadcast, and it was like, you know, just spot the the sort of um, the work ethic in someone and the creative eye that they might have, and just nurture it. It's like I could still be there today, you know. I mean, I love my job now, and I can't see a better situation than you know working with the guys I do now. But things could have been so much better. You know, I had some friends at that company, but the people calling the shots just didn't really value me. And it was just, it makes you feel like shit, you know? You're there six days a week sometimes and you just don't feel necessarily like they they give a fuck really. Like, A hundred percent. I think like on the one hand, I, ha- I, was, I felt very capable and on the other, I was effectively told I'm not a photographer. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, like, yeah, how could you say that if mm. I'm being paid by these massive brands to be a photographer? What I find really interesting as well about like, um, you know, my life in recent years is that only since I've done this job as a photographer have I ever been described as talented. Really, not in a negative way. Just like, I mean, it's not like. You know, there's a lot of talented people who do strategic jobs, but it's not the first word you use to describe that kind of role. And I find that so interesting. So I was suddenly hearing this word that I hear. I'm very grateful that, you know, I hear a lot more frequently now. But it was like I never thought of myself as a person with talent because I didn't know that it was in me. And so I find that something I, that's something I've thought about that I think is really interesting. I think as you get older, you can kind of realize things in yourself uh, and you don't really need people to to give you, you know, to, to introduce those words into your life. But when you're younger, it's kind of all you have, really, because mm-hmm. you're, you're not, you're not like winging it, but you're you're new to everything, you know, and you need someone to just say, that's fucking cool. That, well done like nice one yeah that's really nice you got a good style like you need someone to tell it because you can't tell it to yourself because you don't know you don't know up or down like it's yeah it's ropey it, it, it can be quite tough but um when did you how did you hand in your notice to uh to that place you're at was it well, did, did it, was, it feel good it, it was uh, to be honest with you it was a bit of a negotiation that we'd had together because they uh, they didn't like that I was freelancing, and right. so like conflict of interest. It was. A, it of. was. I think like they knew. They knew that I was. Yeah. To the point where the founder of the company had asked me to do, you know, con- freelance work for him. Whoa. Yeah. And but 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 I think I'm going to be completely honest with you. Like I had a director there who. Uh, felt, I believe he felt threatened by the, all the freelance work I was getting and didn't want me to use my relationships there to get ahead. Mm. I mean, that's what people do in life, isn't it? Yeah. But as in, like, you take a job to, to get ahead in your career. That's what you do. That's how it works. That's yeah. just how it works. So, so I mean, it was. I'm not going to lie to you, it was muddy waters. It was tricky. It was difficult. 
Um, did you and, have to burn any bridges or did you manage to get out of there okay? I, I've got, I mean, all my relationships there are still like solid. Like I'm on good terms with everyone, which is great. Um, and even this director, I don't believe in like holding grudges against people. So although I know that this director um, didn't necessarily have my best interests in mind, I don't have any anger towards him because that's more energy than it is to just be right. at peace with it you can't be carrying that stuff around i don't carry that around and i no. bump into him sometimes he lives just around the corner <laughs> oh, really? um, yeah and he's a nice guy you know but i just i i put i've learned and gained so much from that experience most of my clients now come from my relationships there which is incredible it was an invaluable experience but um i definitely left at the right time for me Sounds like going freelance was quite a liberating experience for you. Talk us through like the first couple of years of um, sort of being a, a freelancer. I mean, it was definitely like sinking a bit, you know, before. So, no, I, I, to be honest, it was actually amazing. It's been incredible. Like uh, my first clients were like Vogue, Uniqlo, amazing. like the Rake magazine. And- All because you had... Like just a, a really healthy reel already of like and portfolio of stuff that you've already done, like for someone to go in and the first freelance job is for Vogue. It's pretty, <laughs> pretty wild. I mean, I happened to know the head of storytelling there, oh, okay. who uh, was at Instagram. So I got offered a job at Instagram before, right. which um, wasn't for me nice. because I didn't feel like I wanted to work in a huge corporation again um, with kind of very little creative freedom. Uh, so I did not go ahead with that, but I, I had a really good relationship with a girl who had worked there previously, and w- we worked together a bit on some workshops at Mr. Porter, running workshops. Um, and she went over to Vogue, so she brought me on board to like travel with them and um, do some just interviews around the globe, getting to know different designers, celebrities, and uh, people who were kind of um, breaking boundaries and standing for things that Vogue wanted to be aligned with. Um, So yeah, I think it was like, it was definitely, I think my, I used to walk around the offices of Mr. Porter feeling very empowered because I had a a big team and like, I was back to back meetings and would like go be, you know, lucky to go and to present to 30 people. And I went from that to nothing, as in like no one around me for days on end. And it was isolating at first and it was scary and I was just like is this what I actually want um so that was very difficult for me because I felt it felt very quiet compared to feeling very purposeful and identifying with this massive brand that people had so much respect for Mm. and being at the forefront of that like you know and it was hard to separate from that but I think like the last year I've built this incredible community around me and like You know, the people that I work with, my assistants, they're like my best friends and my family. Um, My DOP, who's the first person who believed in me as a director before I even knew I could, I had it in me. Um, And I have these people who are solidly there for me and we all have different skills and we all get different things out of it. And I think like to anyone trying to do this freelance life, the main thing is having a team of people that like, you can call on and then you don't feel like you're alone. Absolutely. It's all about the network, for sure. Something we've always sort of prided ourselves here at Family. You know, we've just got a massive network and everyone's mates, you know. We go to each other's weddings and, like, 
just any excuse for a sort of a get together and all this kind of stuff it's just it's just nice because everyone can just get on you know um so the transition you made into film we're going to talk about your iceland film in a second but before we touch on that transitioning between still photography still on you know film and stuff but then going into moving image and stuff what did you really enjoy about that process and did it open up uh, multiple levels of like creativity uh, new levels of creativity I should say um, for you to sort of express yourself in, in that medium of, of the moving image 100% I think it's about a wider it's about a longer emotion like you get the emotion for longer mm. and it's about a lot like a longer message in a way like a photo is amazing but moving you can tell a longer story mm-hmm. and I really like that and and it just it's given me a platform to communicate things in me that have been like a great release and um, or just things that I believe like I've said before need more attention um, and I just feel like you can include more by doing film and I like the idea of like you know, I've, I've always liked, like, strong narrative. I never necessarily knew that I'd get into film, but it makes so much sense now that I think about it. Like, it's so obvious. And um, when I... The, it, the way that I got into film is actually pretty wild. Um, I was at this bar, <laughs> um, and I was on a date, and it was, I'm going to tell you, it was the most boring date of my entire life. Like, it was exhausting getting something out of this guy. I was, like, pulling teeth. Um, and he went to the toilet, and then somebody sat next to me, Joshua Fry, um, and he we started chatting, and I showed him a bit of my work, and he was like, I love your use of Midday Sun. Let's stay in touch. He's now, like, my DOP years later. No way. Partner in crime. And, um, <laughs> and he started chatting to me, and he was like, let's do something. And I'm like, well, what about in Iceland? Like, I've got this idea, you know. Um, and he said yes. And then we made that film, and now... And he said to me, he always says to me, I see your career in directing so clearly mm. plotted out. I know exactly where you're going with it. And, and <laughs> I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never directed in my life. Could I even do it? But he believed in me. And for him, an insanely successful DOP, to believe in me in that way, he's been like a really incredible mentor. How is it jumping in the hot seat in terms of directing? Like, it's not something you just necessarily just fall into because it's you know especially uh, you know going to, uh, uh, so it's a self was it who, where did you get the funding for the Iceland film and like what, what was it like going into that like we you, you must have what did you direct before that or was that one of the first things I was terrified it was literally <laughs> my first thing I think it, I think like the first couple of scenes I was just silent and he was like, are you going to, like, tell them what to do? And I was like, oh, yeah, can you just... <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. Um, it was self-funded. This is the thing, like, the people who got involved all just believed in the project. And I was like, whoa, you guys really, like, think this could be good. I guess it should be good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, uh, yeah, so I produced and directed it, and, and everybody paid for their own flights, and I paid for, like, the accommodation. Everyone sure. paid for their own food. I mean, it was incredible how everyone just believed in the concept. Um, that's, that's amazing. For like a first-time director as well. Um, yeah. Did you find your voice quite quickly then? I think so. I mean, I think 
I think because I had like a strong um, portfolio of photography before that, I missed an important part. Josh gave me a Super 8 camera. Mm. After the second time we met, he just handed me a Super 8 camera just to use, just to just try. Just to have a go, yeah. How incredible is that? Yeah, yeah. Um, and you just sort so of fell in love with it straight so away. So some of the Iceland film I shot on that camera. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I guess I did jump straight into it. I mean, I am quite a directive person anyway. I mean, I, I love telling people what to do. But, <laughs> but I think like, you know, for the Iceland film, we had a quite a clear narrative. Yeah. We had a clear script, um, which was written by a very talented um, art director, Liam Riddler, who was at the time working for like Wyden Kennedy and he's incredible. So very much knows what he's doing. We wrote it together. It was amazing. I think like... One thing I've learned as a creative is like, if you have an idea, even if you find it hard to express or execute, that doesn't make you less of a creative. It's about bringing lots of people in with different skills. Like I've always thought like, if I can't build out a treatment by myself or write this treatment by myself, like maybe I'm not that good of a director, but that's not true. It just means that like my skills are stronger in certain areas and bringing yeah, yeah, yeah. In, you, you just need to bring in a team of people who can help just buffer help that out. Fill in those little bits of the puzzle that you may just be like lacking sometimes. Yeah. And that's what happened with the Iceland film. Like I had someone incredible, like, you know write a poem i had like the liam write the script with me i had josh the dop i had the actors and i just i had someone make incredible music and so yeah i think i learned a lot from that experience let's chat a little bit about your biggest clanger uh i know you you sent me a list of like two or three um mm. that's Let's talk about all of them. Oh, great. Oh, <laughs> why not? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely more than two or three, but... Um, ooh, I'd say, like, my first biggest fuck-up in London... This is just in London. Was, um, <laughs> Keep it local. Yeah, getting fired from my first job. Cool. For shit-talking my manager. She heard me. <laughs> Where was... Where was the job? Uh, it was a PR agency. Um, don't know why I ever thought I'd be wanting to do PR but it's my first job um and I was out for lunch and it'd been like my birthday a few days earlier and she like made me work late and I was just like all they do is watch music videos on the tv screen and they give us all of their work and she was literally like two meters away from me and just stepped in front of me and was like hello and I was like oh shit that sinking feeling and then I literally got called in like the next morning by the director and he was like, we're going to have to fire you. <laughs> and so I literally walked, I was still under probation. I literally walked out that day, called my dad and I was like, dad, help. Um, so that was fuck up number one. Okay. Um, and then uh, I think my most recent fuck up was... Uh, I shot the Abercrombie Global campaign and all the film rolls turned out blank. Oh, mate. <laughs> Oops. Um, it's such a sinking feeling. I'm, I've never oh had it God. in the professional sense in terms of um, they're like paid photos, but I've, I've had rolls come back and I've been so looking forward to seeing the photos and they're like, sorry, man, something happened. Like the whole reel's dead. And I'm 
just gutted. But I mean, to layer that on with global campaign for Abercrombie, uh, yeah, talk us through it. Well, I mean, not only was that the at that at the time it was like the biggest job I'd ever done, so I was really nervous. Had like this big production. Um, it was also like raining all day, and it was the spring summer campaign. So I was like, cool, I'm gonna make this work. Um, shot so many roles and then was so excited to see them and they literally like I think it was 19 out of 23 came out blank and I was like fuck Um, luckily insurance exists and we got to shoot again like a few days later and we shot on a beautiful sunny day so they actually got two sets of photos Mm. because four of the roles had come out Um, but yeah it was I think in, in that situation it was just about like, okay, this has happened. And everyone that was on the shoot was like, oh my God, Lauren, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I was like, okay. And I just went into like panic resolution mode. I was like, I need to resolve this ASAP. What do mm-hmm. I do? And I remember my producer, Jake, was just like, I, I don't know if like we can do another one. And I'm like, we're doing another one. <laughs> and I just like turned it, we turned it around like really quickly and made it happen. And so I think like, I mean, that is what like to your comment earlier about sinking or swimming. I think that is one thing that I do um, thrive in is I thrive under pressure. Um, so I was lucky that that I was able to turn that around and the deadline could be kind of um, postponed. It's lucky. I never yeah. actually told them that. <laughs> they could be listening right now. Mr. Sorry, guys. Mr. Abercrombie and Mr. <laughs> Fitch are going to be furious. Yeah, uh, exactly. No, you guys turned it around pretty quick, actually. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, like, it doesn't actually matter what happened. Like, as long as they got the result, right? This is it, yeah. And if anything, they actually got a better result because... It was a lovely sunny day. I don't know how how you would how are you gonna sort of make it look like spring summer if it was pissing now. I mean, they, for some reason that they were they seemed okay with like some of the rainy images. Okay. But um, but yeah, to all the um, photographers out there, all I can say is get producers indemnity insurance because mm-hmm. it covered the entire second shoot, which was like another ten grand, fifteen grand, wow. which was insane. So I really recommend that lifesaver. Fantastic. Any more clangers on your list? Um, I guess just like spilling coffee all over an expensive sofa and my camera on set was <laughs> not <laughs> ideal. And the model, it was the model's house and he was like really pissed with me. Uh, so I had to like turn around the energy. Uh, I mean, it was fine. Luckily, I walk around with like eight cameras on me. So, yeah. you know, I'm sure there's been more fuck ups, but those are the, the three. <laughs> the ones th- that stand out. Three that stand out. Expensive couch. Yeah. Big stain. Did you? Was it like? Did you try and cover it up or? No, was he, he was there. <laughs> there was, there <laughs> was, was no right covering there. it up. <laughs> oh god, I felt really bad. That's my worst nightmare. Doing something like that, like breaking something in, like off someone's that, like you don't really know, but you're going to be with all day. Oh man. Actually, there's one that's like not. And it wasn't entirely my fuck up, but like one of my assistants on the Pandora shoot yeah. went to Pandora. Well, he went up to a girl from Pandora, but didn't know she was from Pandora and said, does anyone actually like Pandora? <laughs> and she was like, I work for Pandora. We're going to have to fire you. And, actually. He, and he was like, 
Oh, I'm just asking because I love Pandora <laughs> and because like I really want there to be a menswear line and I just think it's such a great brand and I don't, you know, I'm just wondering like, will you guys be bringing out a menswear line? And she was like, actually we are. So like, I'll let you know when we do. And what? So he managed to pull it back. He managed to pull it back and he was like, and now we follow each other on Instagram. And I was like, Louie, come on. <laughs> Gotta love him though. <laughs> we call him Vibe Guy. Yeah. Because he brings all the vibes. Always brings the vibes. <laughs> Always brings the vibes, yeah. What would you call Jake? <laughs> Jake is um, uh, an organized flirt. Because <laughs> he's a Virgo, right? He's, like, I'm, he's just proud to say he's organized and flirty. It is true, though. He's damn organized and he does flirt with everyone. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, just, I mean, I wouldn't really know. Don't think he's trying to flirt with you. I'm not sure you're his audience. No, probably not. <laughs> no. I've, I've seen him in his dressing gown quite a few times. I think he's just got this, like, you know, very, like, captivating, like, his voice just pulls you in because he yeah, speaks so yeah, quietly yeah, yeah. and he always has his hands behind his back. So you have to, like, <laughs> lean in closer. And... <laughs> he plays a strong game, actually. I'll, I'll, have to, uh, I'll have to take some tips off him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, the Jake handbook. What would be your advice to people who are maybe currently, you know, where you were at like school and like studying business and not really knowing, you know, knowing that it wasn't something you wanted to do, but not knowing what you really wanted to do. What's your advice to people in that kind of situation? Um, in that situation, mm. I think trying different things outside of work and maybe just like looking at what makes you happy mm -hmm. like as a whole and trying those things like you just the only way you're going to know is trying right I mean it was very it's it's it was very organic for me to figure this out but I think it's like list I think it's about listening to yourself and like honestly if doing something does not if 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 it feels like it's going against your values or what makes you happy then don't do it don't push yourself to do that and you know try to avoid the pressures around you to like you know live a particular life or lifestyle like i said i came from a very you know conventional jewish community in toronto and everyone's kind of ended up doing similar things mm -hmm. and like settled down with kids and got married and maybe they work office jobs. I think it's about not being afraid to go against the norm. Yeah. But also like I spent so much of my childhood not listening to myself and just doing what I thought I should do because of what was around me. So I think like, you know, never look at something and be like, that's impossible for me to do. Because it sounds kind of cliche, but anything is possible. I never thought I could be a photographer. I looked at photographers and thought that was like the most, the coolest, most glamorous job. But I never looked at it as something I could do. Mm. But you could do anything, really. I mean, you just have to look at, just look at something out there. And if it, if it makes you happy or brings you joy, like look at it as an option of what to do and listen to yourself. Be honest with yourself, because if you pull yourself away from your truth, you'll never fully know who you are and be able to be your own person. Amazing. It's quite striking to think that when you're at school, that ADHD thing was an issue, according to the school. Mm. And you've kind of built your your vibe, your, your style, your career, your life around that kind of rebellious gene about, you know, fuck you, I'm going to do it. Like Just going against the norm. Like, I was bullied a lot growing up. Um 
for various things for not being not having enough money I went to private school for a bit um because of the ADHD I was sent to private school um for like physical things um and so my whole thing now I mean I do it for myself but it's also a bit of a fuck you to all those people who never believed in Mm -hmm. you know I was enough and and I'm in a constant battle with you know proving to myself that I'm enough Mm -hmm. and it comes from that certainly um but yeah I think that like um being labeled in school is it's toxic and Mm -hmm. I'm I don't think that that happens as much anymore um so yeah I think that like you know it's just great to go against the grain and I encourage everyone to do it if if like just pay attention to what's calling you like what you're drawn to just go for it Awesome. On that bombshell, we will wrap this up because we need to get over to your studio in Hackney Week. Uh, mate, thank you for, for jumping on the podcast today. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll have you on again soon, maybe after you've done your first job here at Family Creative, which I'm sure is in the pipeline. Thank you so much. Nice one. That is all we have time for this week on the podcast, guys. But please subscribe to ensure you catch all of our future episodes. You can also follow us on Instagram at family and friends. That's F-M-L-Y and friends, all one word. For news on our new community hub. And please also check out our main page at Family Creative. That's on Instagram. Or our main website, family-creative.com. We'll catch you next time.